Well, today I want to I want to deliver another what I believe I don't know what to call it. I don't know if it's prophetic or a word of wisdom or knowledge. I don't know. All I know, because um, I was going to share some more. You know, we've been talking about the blood and the power of the blood, and I had some things I wanted to share in that series as well. But I felt very urgent that I needed to release this word today and, to, and next week um, about um, something I feel like the Lord has an admonition for us or warning, whatever you want to call it. Um, prophetic, I, I don't even know. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to release it. But, but when, I, when I heard it, you know, when I felt like I heard this from the Lord, I shared it with Eric. I shared it with the prophetic team, get some confirmation you know, what, what are you guys feeling? Is this the Lord? Is it my, you know, did I have pizza last night? What, what's, what do you think this is? Um, and everyone agreed that we need to address um, this warning from the Lord. And, you know, when God warns us, it's for our good. Amen. It's for our, our benefit. It's for the love of a father to a bunch of kids. Right. You know, I tell my four-year-old, don't touch the stove. Why? You know, because I love him. Now, at four years old, he feels restricted, and he feels, you know, how dare daddy keep me from burning my hand? But he didn't get that. He's like, I don't want to hear no. Well, I love you, son. So no, don't touch the, don't touch the oven. And so this is, I, I believe it's just a father preparing us. You know, he's been preparing us for 20 years. I mean, New Covenant's a church that's been getting prepared for 20 years as we continue to do the kingdom business, right? I mean, we're not just sitting around waiting for stuff to happen. We are moving forward in discipleship. We're moving forward in ministry. We're moving forward in healing. We're moving forward in, in better relationships and stronger, healthier relationships. We're, we're moving forward in so many ways, and God knows that. And Dennis, again, I, I so appreciated that. I love that outside perspective when, when they come and they see what they see. And it's, sometimes it's hard when you're in the muck and the mire, you know. Again, when, you, when you're a mom or a dad and you've got all your kids and you're drowning in the mess of your home, it, you go, I don't know if I'm doing anything right, you know. Until someone comes along and they say, wow, you're just a great mom. You are doing so fantastic. You have just been a great dad. You go, oh, really? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can keep doing this. I was going to kill a couple, but no, I, I, I think we can, we can carry on. And for those of you in the Internet world, we don't kill anyone. We don't do that. That's bad. That was a joke. That was a joke. So, um, so anyway, I think our Father's preparing us. He's, he's, he wants to speak something to us. Um, and I believe what I've heard from the Lord is that the enemy, and this is, this is it, I, I feel like what the Lord has shared with me is that the enemy has a specific strategy in place to distract us as new covenant from walking in the fullness of the will of God for this summer. And I felt like the Lord say that it would look like that these distractions that are, you know, demonic in nature or would not seem so demonic, you know? That they would feel like very normal, everyday kinds of problems. And that because they seem so normal to our lives that, that we're not putting up the fight like we should be. 
And I believe that the Lord said that there was even now some of us are being pulled away by these distractions. We're getting pulled away from, you know, worshiping together as a family on a Sunday morning. We're being pulled away from, you know, investing in our, our small groups, our connect groups. We're, we're, we're being distracted in our relationships with each other in our church family. And, you know, we're sometimes maybe dropping the ball in the area of ministry to take care of distractions that are not from the Lord. And I sense that God is is warning us to not hit cruise control, but instead to seek him concerning our plans and purposes through the summer. Because I know that is the tendency. <laughs> Unplug, kids out of school, woohoo, party time, cruise control, fun and sun. That's my agenda. And I feel distinctly the Lord is warning us not to get into that mode in a serious way. Now, I'm not saying don't go on vacation. I'm not saying you can't be outside and enjoy the sun. I'm saying is when you, dis you, you, you pull out from your devotion and your worship time and your prayer time and your seeking God and pressing into his presence and pressing into the things of heaven, that we are not in that place. We are not in that season. I believe that we are receiving this warning because of another vision that actually was shared with Eric and I by our own Michelle Hughes. She, uh, first of the year, we had asked um, several of our leaders on the ministry team, if you feel something from the Lord for this year, for our church, please send it to us. You know, pray and send that to us. And so she did that. And she was very nervous. She's like, I don't know. But here it is, you know. And so she shared with us, and I'll share a little bit of that. She's, what she saw was, she saw Eric and I, we were meeting with other pastors in our town. And that there was, God was going to be doing a stretching of the leaders in this community for an awakening. And that the leaders of our community are going to be gathered together in corporate meetings Corporate gatherings, um, the, in the vision they saw the leaders just huddled together and that we were to deliver a message to the community that God has reinforcements to back us. That we are to deliver a message to the community and that we need to fast and pray. And the word was, it went on, it said, trust me, uh, trust me on the plan and the strategy to bring down the strongholds of this community the churches will stand behind you to participate in this as well. What you will have to do will take an army, but I have the plan. I will succeed. And in the vision, she saw fall leaves and again, the stretching of bands. And so as I prayed about it, I, I again, I felt the Lord impress on me that, um, that the leaves represented um, that we could see something as soon as this fall manifests. Maybe next fall, but I, I just think fall leaves mean fall. Now, here's what else I do know. I do know that I'm a part of a leadership gathering in Indianapolis that I've helped start with Steve Freeman and a few other guys. We gather twice a month to seek the Lord, to touch each other's lives, blah, 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 have, you know, get to know each other, have fun. And for the last two or three months, Without anything from me, 
leaders have spoken up and said, do you feel like something's happening this fall? Oh, yeah, there's something going on. And I'm just sitting back and listening going, oh, wow, we, we may be onto something bigger than we realize, you know. And, and that, that tone has continued in these leadership gatherings. That the fall, that there's something that could be happening, that God is preparing us for a harvest in the fall. And so I know that there are other churches and ministries and leaders that are feel the same way about the fall being some kind of a harvest. So, so the big picture could be that God is warning us to fight against distractions because we need to prepare and be ready in the fall. Because unfortunately in the fall around here, we get this slower getting back into life and back into the routine and back into the presence of God and back into, you know, kids at school and we just kind of slowly eke into the things of the Lord. I don't think that's this season. I don't think it is for any of us. So what I want to do today in, in my message is overcoming the distractions of the enemy. And so what I want to do today is I... You know, in, in order to identify if we're distracted, whether it's from the enemy or whether it's my own doing, you know, not everything is the enemy. Sometimes I just make dumb decisions. But we have to look at what are the symptoms of being distracted according to the Bible. What does it look like when we're distracted from the important things of God's will for our lives? And so as I was studying and Poking around on the internet, I found this wonderful article. It was titled, um, Six Strategic Schemes the Enemy Uses to Distract You. And it was so good. And so I just, I want to share some things from that article. So again, these aren't my own thoughts. It's from, I couldn't find the author's name on this article, but that's the name of it. Six Strategic Schemes the Enemy Uses to Distract You. And, and so the enemy uses these very specific tactics and strategies in order to try to veer us off of the path of life that God has us for. You know, it's, um, and so we have to be, be very aware of the tricks and, and be on guard to, again, these things that we think are simple, normal, everyday stuff that are really designed to catch us off guard. And so for those of you who take notes, number one, complacency complacency is a dangerous state to be in because it causes us to see no need for self-examination Complacency is dangerous because it causes us to see no need for self-examination. And so complacency is really this state of just being overly satisfied with how things are and not wanting to change them, you know, for better. And so that really, it prevents us from accelerating with God. It prevents us from going from glory to glory. In fact, to stop going forward in the spiritual life, a lot of times is you're moving backwards. Even if you think you're just standing still. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 32 says, 
For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Now, I'm not a fool, and I know you're not. So the complacency can't have a place in my life. Kings don't live in complacency. Queens don't live in kingdom people don't live. Overcomers don't have complacency in their life. It's no room for it. It is counterintuitive to who you are and where you're going. But we all can allow it to be there. I've had it happen in my life more than I ever wished. But complacency is a sign that you're being distracted. Number two, good things. Sure, some of you have heard the old saying that good is the enemy of best. See, when we settle, everybody say settle. See, settling instead of pursuing God's perfect will for our life could actually take us down a road that gets us very far away from God's very best. See, we can't live life meandering around, just, just walking into things that seem good. We need to find not good things, we need to find God things. Everybody say God things. God things are the things your life are to be built upon. God things that are, that are directly connected and tied to my purpose and your purpose as a church, as a family, as an individual. We get distracted with good things. It's good enough. It's just good enough. When God said, no, you are for great things. You've been called for great things. I have a perfect will for your life. There is a perfect will. It exists. Now, we're all just finite little people here on the earth trying to hear the Holy Spirit, and I get that, but there still is a perfect will for your life. And God says, this is the path I want you on. And if you settle for good, you will miss great. I'm not satisfied with good. I need best. I need great I need powerful things in my life. And that is all on the path of the perfect will of God. Now, there is always grace when I miss it. Every time. Isn't that amazing? Every time I mess it up, God says, come on over, little guy. Pats me on the hiney and gets me, you know, just like my little four-year-old. No, 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 we're not going that way. We're going this way. That's grace. But there's a perfect will. Are we pursuing it, or are we satisfied with the good stuff? You know, it's a, I mean, life's fine. It's good enough. Well, that's a distraction. Matthew 16 and verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. See, we could go after stuff in the world that's okay, good. But what will we forfeit in return of that pursuit? Good is the enemy of great. 
We can spend our whole life pursuing good things for my job, good things for my kids, good things for me. I could gain the world. I could gain money. I could gain awards or entertainment and still lose out on the truest rewards of living God's best. I'm not going to do it. Next, false teachings. Yeah. So one of the best defenses against the scheme of the enemy is to be a believer who does 2 Timothy 2.15. We're going to read that. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Amen. See, here's the deal. Spending time in God's word and nurturing an understanding of who God is will actually create in my heart a sensitivity to the things that don't line up with his will. Now I'm going to say that again because that was really good. Don't make me Bill Johnson it, Tom. That was a great point, man. Wonderful. You're, you're amazing. These, I'm writing it all down. Spending time in God's word and nurturing an understanding of who God is and what his will is, it will create sensitivity in your heart. How many times have I heard people say, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what to do. It's because you don't read your Bible. You don't know the Lord very well. You know what the world is crammed down your throat through face puke. But the word of God will make you sensitive to who he is. You will, you will know him. You will know his will. And when you know his will, then you will face stuff and you go, that doesn't line up with God's will for my life. I know that doesn't. Because his character says, never, ever, ever should I go down that path. So we have to saturate our inner life with the word of God so that we can quickly spot false doctrine, false teaching. Because these are things that even though we we think, oh yeah, well, you know, it's the big stuff that we should avoid. No, it's the little stuff that we keep messing up on. Is Jesus the son of God? Oh, that's a false teaching if you teach any other thing. You're right, duh. He is the son of God. We have to saturate our life with the word of God so we can stay on task, stay in the groove, stay in the river with him. Next, self-centeredness is a distraction. Things like pride and selfishness are the enemy's chief characteristics. It's how you can spot where he's working in your life and anyone else's, where there's pride and there's selfishness. See, if, if the enemy can get us engrossed in our own interests, you know, our, our, our own stuff, our own lifestyle choices, you know, then, then we end up never really walking in the nature of a loving, giving God. Because the very nature of God is giving. 
See, the nature of God is to be concerned with the needs of others. And the problem that we are facing in our society, and everyone is because of you know, the, the message that's, that's out there so much is, is, is telling us, you know, that it's, it's, it's okay to self-indulge. It's okay to, to take care of me. Well, I got I to gotta take care of me, you know, my truth, my reality. It's all me. And so I, I, I justify how I indulge my time. It comes out of a place of self-centeredness. It comes out of a place of, of self-seeking. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says that we are to do nothing. Everyone say nothing. We are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, say humility. humility. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now you realize he didn't say, don't look to your own interest. He said, don't only look to your own interest, but look to the interest of others. And you don't have to like, you know, take a vow of poverty to be in God's perfect will. You don't have to. Maybe you should. Point is, is, do you live self-centered? Or are you distracted by your own lifestyle needs? It's a distraction from the enemy. Next is dissension. Another word for dissension is strife. Strife actually prevents the Spirit of God from moving. And here's why. Because the Holy Spirit moves through peace. Everyone say that. Say the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves through peace. moves through peace. So if there is strife and dissension showing up in your life, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. You are being distracted. The Holy Spirit leads and moves through peace. Things like discord and and, and dysfunctions, these are the tools that the enemy uses to, to, to throw in the mix of our relationships to, in order to discourage us spiritually by orchestrating things that, you know, seem like hopeless situations. Anyone had those? I had a few of those in my life. But God has called us to pursue peace, not pride. And see, when you begin to pursue peace in your life, and I'm talking about with the people you don't want to have peace with. I'm not talking about your favorite buddy that's sitting next to you this morning. I am talking about all the people who aren't here today. It's those people. We're having such a problem. That's another joke. That's another joke. But we're at the holiday weekend. Guess who you get to see? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Some of those people that you just can't seem to get along with. Well, peace. Peace is the key. 
as much as it is possible with you, live at peace with all people. You can't make people love you. You can't make people stop arguing with you. You can't make people like you. You can't do none of that stuff. You are absolutely helpless when forcing someone to be nice. But you get to be a kingdom person, walking in peace, bringing it with you to the picnic, showing up at mom's house with that stuff. You get to bring it all day long. That freaks people out. And maybe this year you will freak them out because you've been the lunatic that they've all avoided. (laughs) Maybe you're the crazy person. They're like, oh no, here she comes. Here comes the strifey one. I made up a word. It works. Peace is the opposite. And the enemy will distract you with dissension and little hopeless moments. Strife. Get you off the path. Quit you looking at God and looking into his eyes and having hope. Got to deal with dissension. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. These are the fleshly stuff, and that's the bad stuff in the Bible. Works of the flesh are evident. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and enmity. Strife, there it is. Jealousy, fits of anger, there's another one. Rivalries, hmm. Dissensions and divisions. Envy, drunkenness, let's say that together. Drunkenness, that's a bad one. Just like the next one, orgies and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, if you've made a lifestyle out of any of this stuff, you might not be saved. It's highly likely you're not. That's a hard one, but it needs to be said. If you live a lifestyle of some of these things, stuff that you would think, that's not a big deal. You know, I mean, what's a little envy? Jealousy, I'm always jealous, so what? You should see my sister. She's super jealous. <laughs> I'm sorry. If it's a lifestyle and you don't want to give it up, and then there might be something going on that ain't there that should be. These are the works of the flesh. Dissension. These are the things that will distract you. Next. Unbelief. Hebrews eleven six. It says, without faith, everyone say, without faith, faith. it's impossible to please him, meaning God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Everyone say, my father father always rewards me me when I seek him. him. But why do we not do it every day then? I mean, I just got you to say something I said, but really way down below there is there a belief that says every time I seek him, I'm rewarded. That's a sign there's unbelief. You can't tell me you say, I mean, people go, oh, I believe. Okay, well, show me. Show me. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm getting there. 
but I believe. No, show me. You do what you believe. All day, every day, every single moment of every single day. The stuff you most believe is the stuff you are doing. Don't tell me I'm a tither, Tom. I just can't tithe right now. No, you're not. Show me. I don't need to see it. I'm not, it's not my point. Oh, you, I would give if I could, Tom. I've heard that for years. You know, I'm a tither. I would if I could. No, you, you do when you are because you believe. You believe and you do it. The enemy will stop us at any cost from getting us to believing and having faith. If he can get us to grab a hold of unbelief and question the character or the nature of God, then he can keep us just roaming around in the dark. And listen, a lack of faith, it blocks the kingdom from flowing in and the love of God from flowing out of you. I'm going to say that again. Lack of faith blocks the kingdom from flowing in and the love of God flowing out. We can't put up with unbelief. It is a distraction from the enemy for your life. We are believers. Say, I am a believer. That's who you are. That's your identity. So guess what else doesn't work with you, doesn't jive in your life? Unbelief. Doesn't sit well. It should irritate you. That's the point. Because it doesn't sit well in our life as believers. We are called as believers. Now listen, I realize that this list doesn't represent every distraction the enemy uses. But if you're like me, I'm sure you're, you're, you're struggling with one or a couple. <laughs> Maybe you circled the one or started or checkmarked it. But listen, God is admonishing us to, to identify distractions in our life and to put up a fight. Put up a fight. One say, I need to fight. Oh. I need a fight. My distractions. Even the one where you're too hot right now. That's a distraction. I get it. Or too cold. Whichever section you're in. We've got the young. We've got the geriatric. We've got the menopausal section. We've, wherever you're at in that, it's, it's a distraction. <laughs> You've got to fight that distraction. With more layers or fewer, I don't know, whatever. But we have to fight to the point of breakthrough. To the point of breakthrough, not until you're tired or my favorite show's on. I'll fight until my kid's game starts. No, you fight until you get breakthrough. God's calling us to fight until the point of breakthrough. We've got to fight. We've got to, we've got to identify. We've got to fight. And then we have to get breakthrough. Say that with me. Say identify, identify. Fight, fight, breakthrough. breakthrough. Identify, identify, fight, fight breakthrough. breakthrough. That is the path. 
Settling for good is not going to get you your breakthrough. Being self-centered is not going to get you breakthrough. Causing strife and dissension, no breakthrough there. False teaching, unbelief, they're not going to help you with, a, with your breakthrough. Identify, fight, and then get your breakthrough. Now, I want to look at a very famous story of distraction. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabeth, or Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, let's stop. Because we need to look at what's going on here in this story. So the verse says that it's the spring, which is the time when the kings go out to battle. And here's David, and he sent out Joab and his servants and all of Israel. Now, who's David? King. Everyone say, David's the king. Just imagine this is some play or musical. I will not go to battle, Joab, you will go for me. And all the Israelites, they go, we will fight, we will fight, da da da, da we will fight. Come on, bring it. I got it. I know what we're doing right now. So David's the king in this story, in our play, in our musical. And believe me, this is more miserable than lame is. Oh. So who's David? David's the king. It's springtime. Where do kings supposed to be in the springtime? Fighting in the battle. Instead, we've got this guy who's a king. He decides to take it easy and send someone else to go do his job. Now, Here's the first point I want you to learn about this little story. One of the big signs, big neon sign pointing at the distraction is you're not doing what you should be doing. I know that's not brain science or rocket science or brain surgery. <laughs> but you not doing what you're supposed to be doing is the first sign you're not doing God's will. You're being distracted. See, it's, it's the stuff where you're not following through. Your word, you know, the stuff you promised, all those promises you make. You know, I'll be there, I'll do that. You're being distracted. When you start avoiding your responsibilities. Now, I understand when tragic things happen, you know, sickness uh, or some uncontrollable factor that interferes with our duties. And there is, again, always grace. But see, it's when we make a conscious decision not to prioritize and do the things we're not supposed to do. 
See, there's a difference. There's a difference between I got a flat and that's why I'm late versus I hit my snooze four times. When we make conscious decisions not to prioritize. See, David was supposed to be at battle. David was supposed to be fighting the enemy. And instead, he just stayed home. Let's read on. Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch... The music began, he was walking, it was an ominous sound. It's kind of like a reality show. I want you to hear the music of this story. It's very important. David got up from his couch and walking on the roof of his beautiful palace, looked over the roof and he saw a woman bathing. And she was very beautiful. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And so David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. In the biblical sense. Now, she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. And then she had returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So, we've got David not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And now, he's not in the right place doing the right thing. And he finds himself now in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. Now, again, it's really important. The Holy Spirit does this great job of making sure we don't miss the detail of David's situation, right? Again, the Bible tells us that Dave got up from his couch. You know, he's just got nothing to do but just take a nap all day and lay around. I mean, you know because I'm not fighting any battle. I'm just taking it chill, just chillaxing. <laughs> so David's just hanging out on his couch, bored, you know, because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. How many times do you get in trouble when you're bored? <laughs> Come on. Don't get any whiplash, but... <laughs> Y'all need to know what happens when you get bored. Because you're not busy doing kingdom stuff. So you get bored. You know, because you crave entertainment 24-7 like most of us. So you're, you're hanging out on your couch and instead of sweating it out on the battlefield. And so once we get in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, it becomes a snowball effect. And worse things start to happen. Now, we've got David, right? Bored, because he's not doing what he's supposed to. Goes out to the roof. 
decides, hey, let's practice a little voyeurism, right? I mean, that's what it is. This is peeping Tom before there was Tom. <laughs> it was peeping David. <laughs> so he's looking where he shouldn't look. He's committing the sin of voyeurism from the rooftop of his very comfy place. When you're in the sin, you might as well keep going, right? Well, that's what David did. And so he takes it a step further. He's like, I don't like just looking. I need this up close. Finds out she's a married woman whose husband is, guess what? Doing what he should be doing. He's out fighting on the, on, the, on the field. Finds out she's married. Husband doing what he should be doing, fighting the battle. So David, he, what's he do? He sends some messengers, takes her, meaning come with us, and, you know, think about that. I mean, you're, who knows, you know, where her status in life is. She's not the king, and she's not the king's wife. And here comes the king's guards. You need to come. David needs to see you. He wouldn't freak out about that. I don't know. So she's going to see David, probably against her will. In fact, a lot of commentators, when they talk about this story, they say that it's very likely David raped her. She's a good woman. She's married. At the very least, we know he committed adultery with her. Then he finds out she's pregnant. Wow. The good choices just keep rolling in for David. And to think it all happened when he was distracted from doing what he was supposed to be doing. And this isn't still the end of the story. I mean, you know, if we were to continue reading, we would we would discover that, you know, David tries to now cover up his adultery and impregnating this poor girl by having her husband come home. Hey, send, get Uriah to come home and maybe he'll go home and, you know, see his wife and uh, sleep with her. But guess what? Uriah is this really stand-up dude. Stand-up guy. He's like, I don't, you know... And he, and he sleeps on the front steps of his house. He won't even go in and see her. Because he's like, no way. My brothers are out in the field dying. How dare I take the time to come and enjoy the comforts of my wife and home? Not going to do it. Not at all. He's got too much integrity. He's not going to enjoy these comforts that David's trying. The king, go, go. Nope. So when that doesn't work, guess what David does? He decides, I'm going to have to kill this guy to fix my problem. So he sends, he put, writes a letter to the captain, gives it to Uriah. Uriah takes it to Joab, and the letters, it's literally his own death sentence. Like, uh, send Uriah to the front line, and then when the battle is really bad, pull the army back so he will die. Here you go, sir. From, from King David, our noble king, the one we're here serving and loving. All because David got distracted. He wasn't doing 
what he was supposed to be doing. We can't get distracted this summer. What are you supposed to be doing? What is God's will for your life? I'm just going to stop here because I got a whole bunch more and we don't have time. But I do want to pray. I want to pray for us. Maybe you need to kneel at your chair. If you want to come to the altar, we're going to put a little bit of music as I pray. But listen, your story and David's are not that far apart. We are all potentially could be making the same dumb mistakes, not doing what we're supposed to be doing. So just close your eyes for a moment. Because again, the Holy Spirit's here. He's not here to condemn. He's here to change. He's here to shift you. The Holy Spirit is here to, to convict and to shift So, Father, we, we, we just invite your holy presence, your Holy Spirit to come now and just to wash over us, God, right in this moment. Father, I just pray right now that you, God, would, would begin to help us to see the areas of our lives where we're being distracted by our enemy. God, I pray that we would call the things that are not from you, God, those things that should not be in our life. For we declare, God, that we are your kingdom people. We are sons and daughters. There's no room for complacency in my life. There's no room for self-centeredness in my life. There's no room for false teaching. There's no room for unbelief in my life. It's incompatible with my destiny. And I repent of those things right now, God. I repent, Father, for those places that I have let slip. That I got lazy. That I settled for good. I repent, God. For Lord, we do not want to be distracted. We want to press in to the get readies that you've called us to, God. God, take, we just take the blood, just take the blood of Christ and just sprinkle it again. Just let it wash away those distractions, those places. God, we apply the blood to our own hearts for our sake to wash it clean God and we apply the blood for your sake God and we apply the blood for the sake of the enemy so God we just 
And if you can just pray this, God, we just lay our, our, our plans at your feet. We lay our plans at your feet. We lay every dream, desire, we lay it at your feet today, God. Father, we know rest is a part of the kingdom. We ask you, God, to appropriate towards us in the right way. We don't want to miss this season we're in, God. We don't want to miss this time, this period, this, this grace that you are, are pouring out on us, Father. We want to walk in your grace, God. There, that, that place of power and enablement by you, Father. So forgive us, God, for our distractions. Call us up higher. Give us clearer vision. Help us to see God with your eyes and your vision. Father, we thank you. We love you. We bless you, God. You are so good. We are so happy to be a part of your family. We are so, so full of joy, God, to be a part of your kingdom. We thank you, God. We love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.